Good evening. God's grace and his peace be yours in abundance tonight and always. Amen. It's my pleasure to be here with you tonight to continue our Advent meditations through the book of Isaiah. Tonight we look at a section of scripture from Isaiah chapter 9. So most of you probably know that I'm a Packer fan, and uh, please don't hate me for that. <laughs> I, uh, I was born in Wisconsin, I grew up in Wisconsin, and you know how it is, it's the home team, it's my home state. Uh, also, I'm not opposed to rooting for other teams, um, I'm not that diehard of a Packer fan, at least I don't feel like I am. Uh, but anyway, uh, I have to admit that this season has been a particularly tough season as a Packer fan. Does anybody know why I would say that? What's the reason? Yes, it's one name, right? Aaron Rodgers is not playing. He's the star of the team. He's the uh, all-pro quarterback. He got knocked out. Um, and I And I know that They've won a, a couple of games here recently just by the hair of their chins, but uh, generally they are not the same team that they are when Aaron Rodgers plays. Uh, he is the champion. He is their champion. He's my champion, right? And it's hard to watch when he's not playing. Um, have you ever noticed that, that people, I think all people, like to have a champion, um, we love our champions, uh, someone that we can kind of look up to. Um, I remember uh, being a kid. You maybe remember this too. Uh, do you remember the, there was that one kid in the neighborhood that, uh, you know, it seemed like he or she was good at everything. Um, they, uh, they always got picked first when, you know, they were picking teams for, for sports and stuff, and they were popular and and uh, they were a leader, so people liked to follow them. I mean, it, everybody wanted to be that kid. He was, he was the champion. He was the neighborhood champion. And we don't just do it, it with sports-related stuff. We do it in life, too. Um, again, I remember as a kid, and maybe you do too, uh, my dad. Uh, my dad seemed like could fix anything, you know, I could go to him with anything that was broke, and he would fix it for me. Uh, most often as a kid, it was a bike. It was my bike. And later, as I got older, it was my car. But I, I never had any doubt when I brought stuff to my dad that, that he would fix it for me. Um, he was my champion. Why do we do that? Why do we, why do we like our champions? Why do we like to not only have a champion that we look up to, but we, we kind of latch on to them and we make them our own. I think there's a lot of reasons for it, but one big reason, I believe, is that because we know that we can't be the champion. <laughs> we would maybe like to be, but we can't. We don't have what it takes to be the champion. We're not that kid in the neighborhood. And it's, you know, it's, it's been that way for a long time. In fact, I would say it's been that way since the dawn of history. Um, people have always liked their champions. And it was the same for God's Old Testament people. 
they love their champions too. In fact, you might remember that at one point in their history, they, they so longed for a champion that they cried out to God to ask God to give them a king, to give them a champion, to give them someone that they could rally around, a, a mighty warrior and uh, someone who would lead them and someone that they could follow. They cried out to God for a king. They wanted a champion. And he gave them a king. The first king he gave them was Saul. And Saul was a head taller than everybody else. And he was a good-looking man. And he was a mighty warrior. And he was, what we might say, a champion of champions. Our text for tonight uh, comes from a time in the history of Israel when they were really, really longing for a champion. All the champions of old... Were, were long gone. That was ancient history. People like Abraham and, and Moses and David and Samson, they were, they were all gone. The kings that they had had largely recently in their recent past weren't any good. They weren't good kings. They weren't good champions. The country was, or the nation was broken, literally, in, into two different nations. Uh, enemy, enemy nations were, were getting ready to invade and conquer them. Uh, immorality and, and idolatry was rampant. It was a very dark and dreary time, and the people were longing for a champion. And so God, through the prophet Isaiah, and our text for tonight, gives them a glimpse of a champion that was to come their true champion. Let's, let's read from Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, you'll see the text up on the screen. You can follow along there also in your bulletin. I'm going to read the verses all the way through. Isaiah says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So in these words, God points ahead to a time in the future when all of the the gloom and the darkness would turn to joy and to celebration. 
Now, God, through Isaiah, uses a couple of pictures to describe the joy that they would experience and that they would feel. It's uh, the two pictures. One is of farmers rejoicing at the harvest, and the other one is of men rejoicing at the end of a battle. Now, as 21st century Americans, uh, it's probably hard for us really to relate to the joy that he's talking about because we don't generally, unless you grew up on a farm, and even in today's world, growing up on a farm, we don't know what it's like to rejoice at the harvest, how much that meant to them. We go down to the local grocery store and get whatever we want whenever we want it. So we don't, we don't get that. Or rejoicing at the end of a battle. Our battles are fought across seas, and we watch them on TV, or we see little bits of them on TV. They were used to having battles fought right in their backyards, and they knew what it was like to rejoice at the end of a battle. So for us to, to get a feel for what Isaiah is trying to arouse in us, it's, you maybe need to think of something different. Think of a different event for you that really makes you feel joyful, that really moves you to tears, that changed your view of life and the world. So maybe it's a wedding. Maybe it's uh, when your child, one of your children was born. Uh, maybe it's you got a huge bonus at work, but whatever it is, God is wanting you to, to think about that, that, t- that type of joy because for the Israelites, they really got it when he used these pictures and they knew what that meant. It meant celebration and victory and relief. So what was the cause for all the joy and the celebration? Well, Isaiah says it, right? He says it in verse 6. He says, it's a child. But not just any child, a very special child, a child unlike any other. But also a champion, but not just any champion, a champion unlike any other. God's champion, the long promised Messiah, a son, the son, the son of God. Listen to how, again, how Isaiah describes him. And if you can go back, Steve, but if not, that's fine. I'll just read it to you. You can follow along in the bulletin. Verses 6 and part of 7, he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. Do you remember when Jesus, on the night, before he died, when he was standing before Pontius Pilate, and he was very likely in rags and, and bloody and beaten, and Pilate looked at him and he said, don't you know that I have the power to either free you or to have you crucified? And Jesus looked at him and he said, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. And earlier he told him, my kingdom is not of this world. And if it were, 
My servants would come to fight for me and would prevent my arrest. Do you hear Isaiah's words there? The government would be on his shoulders. Or think about all the wonderful things that Jesus did. All the miracles that he performed. All the, all the wonderful miracles that he performed. How he healed people that had been dealing with afflictions and lifelong diseases. And how he even brought people back to life. It was wonderful. And remember again, on the night that Jesus was arrested and the next day he died on the cross when the soldiers came out to get him and Peter, remember, he, he picked a, his sword up and he swung and he cut that one soldier's ear off and Jesus, in the middle of it all, he reached down and he picked up the guy's ear and he put it back on his head and he healed the man, a man that was, had come there to hurt him and to arrest him. And it was the night before Jesus was going to die. That's, that's wonderful. Jesus was wonderful. Or, or remember how Jesus counseled people? You remember how he, he always had the right thing to say? He always knew exactly the words for people. He didn't pull any punches. He, he counseled them with love, but he also confronted them at times. You remember when he hung on the cross and the thief that was sitting next to, or hanging next to him and Jesus in his dying words, not thinking about himself, turned to the thief next to him and he counseled him, this man who was on his deathbed. And Jesus said, today, you will be with me in paradise. He's a wonderful counselor. Or, you remember Peter? On that same night, Jesus is being interrogated, and and Peter wanted to be close, and he's in the courtyard outside. And, And people are accusing Peter They say, aren't you one of him, one of his followers? And Peter was so afraid that he was going to get caught and he was going to get in trouble that he denied that he even knew Jesus. A man that he had spent three years with and who had been a close friend to his, Peter denied him three times. And on the third time, when he denied him and the rooster crowed, it tells us that Jesus looked right at him. And I'm guessing that that look that Jesus gave to Peter was a look that only a father could give. Maybe a look of disappointment, but definitely a look of love. A father's love. Do you hear Isaiah? Jesus would be an everlasting father. Or how about a couple days after that, when Jesus rose from the dead and the disciples were all in that room and they were scared and they were anxious and afraid 
because they didn't want to, get, want to get caught either, and they thought maybe the same thing was going to happen to them that happened to Jesus, and they're locked away in this room, and Jesus comes, and he appears to them. And what did he say? Jesus said, peace be with you. He said it twice. He said, peace be with you. The peace that only Jesus can give. A peace that surpasses all understanding. The peace of knowing that even though all that's going on, that things are going to be okay. That I'm forgiven and things are all right between me and God. A prince of peace. Finally, you remember when Jesus was on that mountain with his disciples and he had risen from the dead and he spoke those words to them, words that we now call the Great Commission. And in those words, he said to his disciples, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And later he said, and surely... I am with you always to the very end of the age. Eternal King. Listen to those words just one more time. And as I do, just let them, let them sink in. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. You know, when God gave Saul to be the king of Israel, to be their champion, It didn't take them very long to realize that Saul was not the king that they had hoped he was going to be. That he was not the champion that they had hoped for. He was not the champion that they needed. And when you and I, over time, when we look at all of the champions that we might attach ourselves to in our lives, we also realize that they are not the champion that we want them to be. They're not the champion that we really need. So whether it's Aaron Rodgers or that kid in the neighborhood or your dad or your mom or your spouse or your kids or your boss or your coach or your teacher or maybe it's not even a person. Maybe it's your financial portfolio Maybe it's your possessions. Maybe it's your career. Whatever it is that you have put up on a pedestal as the champion in your life that you attach yourself to, they are not your champion. They are not your champion. In one way or another, in a few ways or in many ways, They will fail you. They will disappoint you. There is only one true champion, 
And it's that little baby in the manger. It's that little baby boy. It's the, the age-old Christmas story, but it's the greatest story. It's the greatest story of the greatest champion. The greatest champion who gave it all up for you. Who came to earth, never won an election. He never won a world championship. His fan base eventually left him. He did it all. He did it all for you. And he went to the cross for you. He showed you just how passionately he loves you on the cross. He is your true champion. He did it all to rescue you from all those other champions that we tend to follow. He is your true champion. In your bulletin, you have a list of names or descriptions, and uh, there's seven of them. Uh, It's just the way I divided it up. You could say there's, uh, we could divide it up other ways. I divided it up into seven, partially for a reason. Um, You maybe already wrote some things in the blank. If you did, that's okay. But the main reason I put that in there is for this, is so that you have seven days between now and the next time we meet for midweek service. There's seven descriptions up there. All right, what I'd like you to do is to take that sheet out of your bulletin, take it with you, put it somewhere where you can see it every day, And what I want you to do is I want you to, every day, look at one of those on the list. And in the blank next to it, write how Jesus has personally been that for you. How has he been your mighty God? How has he been your counselor? And each day, fill one of them up, however you want to. And I'm not going to check on it, (laughs) right? I'm just asking you to do it. I'm challenging you to do it. I think it would be a good way to, or something to add to your personal devotions. But if you want to bring it in and show me next week, that'd be cool. I'd love to see it. But maybe it'd be better if you kept it yourself. Um, But it would be a way for you to more greatly appreciate your champion, Jesus Christ. There's a story, uh, supposedly it's a true story, uh, that involves Cyrus, who is the founder of the Persian Empire. And there was a prince, a foreign prince in his family that he uh, captured. And he brought the prince before him. And Cyrus asked him, he said, what will you do for me? What will you give me so that I will release you? And the prince said, I will give you half of everything I have. I'll give you half of my wealth. Cyrus said, what about your children? What will you do for me, for me to release them? 
To which the prince said, I'll give you everything that I have. All of my wealth is yours. And Cyrus asked one more question. He said, what about your wife? What will you do for me to release your wife? And he said, I'll give you myself. You can take my life for hers. The story goes that Cyrus was so moved by that that he let him go. He let him and his family go. He was so moved by the love and devotion of this prince. And uh, on the return home, the prince, uh, they're obviously talking about everything. And one of the things the prince said is he turned to his wife and he said, you know, Cyrus was kind of a handsome man. And his wife looked at him and said, I didn't notice. I couldn't keep my eyes off of you. The one who would give his life for me. Tonight, Isaiah has shown us that Jesus is our true champion. And when you know that, and when you've been, re- been reminded of, of it again, and when you've been reminded of just how much he loves you and the great price that he went to, that he gave up for you and for your freedom, then you don't even really notice all those other champions that are out there. You can't help but focus your eyes on Jesus, the one who gave his life for you. Jesus was born to be our champion. Amen.